I have always enjoyed reading, even as a young child. I would read pretty broadly, which included all kinds of genre, short stories, poems, novels, mysteries, history, you name it, I used to like to read it. However, my favorite has always been biographies. I love to read biographies, especially autobiographies, for they provide us with great insights into people, what makes them tick, what makes them successful, or what characteristic traits led to their downfall. I guess that's one of the reasons that I enjoy preaching and teaching from 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings so much, for in reality they are a compilation of biographies. They teach us about Samuel, David, Solomon, the prophets, and others. As we think about Solomon, Solomon's life is an incredibly valuable study. For we can live and learn vicariously through a consideration of Solomon's life. We can imagine ourselves in his place. We can try to understand the thought process, the motivations behind what it was that Solomon did. In turn, that can be very informative for us as we seek to analyze our own life and draw some comparisons and contrasts to Solomon's thinking and that of our own. Are there similarities or are there great dissimilarities in our thoughts and our actions? Solomon was an individual who started out extremely well. The Bible speaks of him and his love for God. But unfortunately, his life did not end well as far as relationship to the Lord is concerned. Somewhere on the, along the line, he got derailed. And what we want to think about this morning is what was the cause of the downfall? How is it that a man who seemingly has it all, he has wealth, power, prestige, health, peace, and he had seemingly what every person could want, and yet this individual wanders from God. Why did he depart from following God when he started out so well? Fortunately, we don't have to speculate concerning the answer. We don't have to guess. We're told very specifically and repeatedly in this text what was it in the life of Solomon that caused him to move in his commitment to God? Solomon had wandered from God because of his commitment to his foreign wives. He loved his unbelieving wives more than he loved God. Notice the emphasis in our text is the role that Solomon's foreign wives had in turning his heart away from God. Starting at verse 1, it reads, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither they with you. Now notice these words, for surely they will turn your heart after their gods. Surely they will turn your heart after their gods. Verse 3, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, 
And now these words, and his wives turned away his heart. Verse 4, for when Solomon was old, his wives, here it comes again, turned away his heart after other gods. So there's no question, no dispute as to what took place in the life of Solomon. His wives turned his heart away from a full and complete allegiance to God. Which is the result in verse 4. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David. Remember, we emphasized last week that when David is referred to as this individual who has kept all the commandments of God, that includes two ideas. First, the forgiveness that he experienced in his life that uh, caused him to have this standing before God, and secondly, because he didn't go after the foreign gods, which is the ultimate reason, and it is the emphasis throughout the scriptures that David did not depart from his worship of the true and living God. So the theme this morning is, we want to focus our attention on the reason why Solomon's heart turned away from God. The reason why Solomon's heart turned away from God. As I said, Solomon started off well. When he was young, Solomon's heart was true to God. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, it says this, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings in the high places. But Solomon loved the Lord. However, when he was young, he began marrying foreign wives. If you look at 11 verse 1, it says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Verse 2, From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them. So he loved these foreign women wives, the very ones that God had said, you shall not enter into marriage with them. So Solomon's marriages are typified by his marriage to the daughter of Pharaoh. If you notice in verse 1, it says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. So it's the daughter of Pharaoh that the scriptures draw our attention to, though she is not the only one, she's one among many. So the daughter of Pharaoh plays an important role. So let's look at the background of what's going on here. We find in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, it's a, a passage that, that I didn't spend much time on when I looked at chapter 3, because I, I knew we were going to address it here. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, it reads, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David. So Solomon made a marriage alliance, a treaty, if you will, with Pharaoh that resulted in an establishment of a treaty by means of this marriage covenant. Now, we need to keep in mind that the daughter of Pharaoh was not even the first foreign wife of Solomon. 
Well, we find out in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 21, concerning Rehoboam, his oldest son. Now, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And then this, his mother's name was Namah the Ammonite. So here is the first foreign marriage of Solomon, marrying an Ammonite woman, the offspring being Rehoboam. So we find out that in referring to this daughter of Pharaoh, that Pharaoh's daughter serves as a representation of what's going on. All right, we, we learn about what's going on in the heart and mind of Solomon by citing the daughter of Pharaoh as an example. So what is going on here? Well, the marriage alliances were common in the Old Testament culture. Presumably, it would be a turret for a king to fight against another king if the first king's daughter is married to the son or the king of the second kingdom. There would be a marital bond there that would bring about a peace and a security. It was a way of establishing a relationship to a foreign country and power. This is what Solomon did, and this is what he did repeatedly. And we find out in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 16, it says, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire and had killed the Canaanites who lived in the city and had given it as dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So the dowry or the payment that Pharaoh gave to Solomon as a gift for marrying Pharaoh's daughter was that he destroyed the enemy city of Solomon. This was a testimony. This was a statement of saying, I will fight your enemies. I will take care of you. I will be on your side. And conversely, Solomon would be on the side of Pharaoh. They would mutually protect one another. It was a way to bring about peace and a way to bring about security. The dowry demonstrates Pharaoh's military allegiance to Solomon. So at the outset, we should see a tremendous irony in this story. That is, the irony is that Solomon enters into marriages with these foreign women in order to make his kingdom more secure. This is the way he's going to cement his authority and power throughout the world, entering into these treaties with these foreign nations. But the irony is that these foreign wives are actually going to be the downfall. They are not going to be making the kingdom more secure. The opposite occurs. Solomon's kingdom will not be made stronger 
but rather weaker and ultimately devastated as a result of marrying these foreign wives. For 1 Kings 11 verse 11 says, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Now we must understand that, that Solomon not only committed this sin, but did so habitually. This, this was his normative way of acting. Or it tells us in verse 3 that he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. The difference between a wife and a concubine was that the son of a wife had legal claim upon the throne. Uh, he would stand in succession, oldest to, to youngest, in being next on the throne. A son of a concubine had no legal standing, had no expectation or claim upon the throne. But the throne is actually going to be corrupted as a result of these marriages. So the first lesson we learn is that the security of Solomon's kingdom rests in his relationship to God, not in the relationship to these foreign kings. He was not making himself more secure by disobeying God. He was destroying his kingdom by disobeying God. We must be very, very careful that we do not think in our shrewdness that somehow our disobedience is actually producing something good for us when our disobedience will never produce that which is good, but only that which is harmful unless redeemed by the grace of God. Secondly, what Solomon did not bank on, but should have known, was that these foreign wives would turn his heart away from God. He did not bank on, but should have known that these foreign wives would turn away his heart from God. For notice verse 2 of 1 Kings 11. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. Now these words, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Solomon thought that he could ignore that command with impunity. He thought that he could enter in the, into these covenantal marriages and it would have no negative effect upon him and his kingdom. One must ask the question, well, how can that be? How, how could Solomon have thought that he could disobey this command that would not have any negative effect? Well, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 2, it says this. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel. This command was a general command. It was for everyone. It wasn't just for kings. It was everyone should not be marrying these, these foreign wives. It goes all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. But in the mind of Solomon, this is for other people. They needed to obey this command. He didn't. He was king. 
And he loved God. And Solomon was wiser than to be so foolish as to forsake his love for God. Solomon didn't perceive the danger. Solomon thought he was above it. He thought, that will never happen to me. That could never take place. I love God too much, and I am too wise to stray from God. After all, these were just merely arranged marriages with a political goal, a purpose in mind. They were not initially marriages based on love or any kind of ultimate commitment to these women. So he thought these marriages would do no harm and only do good. Well, the application here is that we must guard our thinking that somehow we are above temptation and that we can just resist the warnings of Scripture thinking that somehow they're not applicable to us. Somehow we wouldn't do that. Somehow we wouldn't fall susceptible. That's for other people that have less commitment, less knowledge, less whatever than what we have. But, you know, I can watch certain things. I can engage in certain activities, and it, it's not going to affect me like it affects other people. It's a very dangerous road to walk down, as we see in the example of Solomon. We must guard against thinking that we can sin with impunity. That is, sin will not have negative consequences in our own life. So despite what Solomon thought, nevertheless, his heart did, did turn away from God because of Solomon's love for his wives. If you look at verse 2, it says, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. Now we have this statement, Solomon clung to these in love. Clung to these in love. Strong word. He stuck to them like glue. He was true to them. He had an allegiance to them. And to the point that his allegiance and commitment to these wives was greater than his allegiance and his commitment to God. He was faithful to them, but unfaithful to God. When it came down to making a choice, am I going to please my wives, or am I going to please God? The wives won out. What they desired, what they wanted, trumped what God desired and what God wanted. So his love for his wives usurped his love for God. Now, there's a, pro, a, a, a process that is going on. Solomon's ultimate turning away from God was not an immediate result of marrying these foreign wives, but rather had a gradual effect upon Solomon that took place over time. 
For if you notice in verse 4, the scripture says, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart. When he was old. Now remember, Solomon is young. Solomon is in the very beginning of his kingship when he enters into this first foreign marriage with the Ammonite woman, shortly thereafter with the daughter of Pharaoh. And as you can see with 700 wives, there's a process that's going on here. And the more and the more and the more that Solomon walks down that road, the, the more he becomes committed and actually refers to as, as loving these wives. They probably had a certain intrigue for Solomon, who himself was so wise. Uh, he probably was intrigued by their, their language, their culture, uh, learning to speak these foreign languages, learning their culture, learning about their upbringing, and unfortunately, learning about their gods. Learning about their gods. The emphasis is that this occurred when he was old. When he was old. Solomon turned away from God when he was old. We find out that life is not just about how we start out in our relationship to the Lord. It is how we finish that ultimately matters. We want to stay true to God for the entirety of our lives. The end is not just our retirement. The end is our final breath. The Apostle Paul could say as he looked back on his life and his testimony, he said, for I am now ready to be poured out. My departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up to me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to all who love his appearing. I have kept the faith. That's the goal, that's the desire, and that's the failure of Solomon. He did not keep the faith. But what are we to learn from this aspect that, that when he was old, his heart turned away from the Lord? Well, I think there are three applications. First, often the consequences, the outcomes of both our sins and our obedience are not immediate, but rather unfold over an extended period of time. And that in and itself serves as a temptation. You see, for a long period of time, he has 700 wives. And for a long period of time, it appears that Solomon's getting away with it. Not just in the sense that, that God doesn't bring judgment, but it doesn't appear that his heart is turning away. He's doing what God says not to do, but it doesn't seem to be having immediate consequences. There's no immediate outcome. There's nothing terrible. The kingdom's not just crumbling on his head. He doesn't become unbelievably sick. There is nothing disadvantageous in the early stages of Solomon's disobedience to God. And that often happens with us. That we can sin and it seems like we're getting away with it. 
it, it, it seems like there's nothing terrible that's happening. Person has an affair. Seems like people don't find out. Seems like it's not destructive to their, their marriage. Seems like, like everything's all right. Seems like no big deal. And that can just lead to more boldness, more sin, more rebellion. And conversely, if we are, are faithful and we are doing what is right and it doesn't seem like it's quote-unquote paying off, if it doesn't seem that somehow my life is being enriched and bettered and perhaps even I'm experiencing some difficulties or hardships for my commitment to Christ, people are making fun of me, people are persecuting me, people are rejecting me, and it seems like though I do good, evil comes, well, that can be a, a tremendous t- temptation to fall away in our allegiance to God. It's important that we, we don't take a snapshot view of life at this moment in time. But we take a long-term perspective and realize that there is a lot of life before us. And there's certainly eternity before us. And as the scripture says, be sure that your sin will find you out. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So even though it appeared that there were no negative effects, there were, in fact, very negative effects. The emphasis of the text is that over a period of time, the final result of Solomon's love for his unbelieving wives was that Solomon pursued a relationship with other gods. This is the emphasis of Solomon's turning away from God. He turned away from God to these foreign gods. For notice in verse 4 of our text, 1 Kings eleven four. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. After other gods. He began to seek, to pray, to venerate, to worship gods other than the God of Israel, other than the true and living God. Verse 5, it tells us specifically, for Solomon went after Asheroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, to go after. He sought out these gods praying to these gods, seeking wisdom of these gods, honoring these gods, exalting these gods. The mind boggles. Solomon became syncretistic in his worship. That is, he did not totally forsake the worship of the true and living God, but he incorporated the worship of these false gods into his religious experience as well. So it isn't that he just totally threw off the God of Israel. But in his religious practice and experience, it was broadened to now include and incorporate these foreign gods along with his worship of the true and living God. That's why it says in verse 6, 
So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord. Not completely, not singularly follow the Lord. As David, his father, had done. Again, with the emphasis that, that David had not gone after foreign gods. The degree to which Solomon fell is given to us in verse 7. Solomon, who's best known for building a temple for the living and true God, now builds places of worship for these false gods. Up until this point, in the book of Kings, the climax to Solomon's kingship and his devotion to God is the time, the effort, the energy, the resources that were poured into building a house of worship for God, a temple for God, where all of Israel could come and worship. That was the capstone. That was the pinnacle of Solomon's kingship and devotion to God. Now we have verse 7. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemos, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Molech, I mean, what a hideous God. They, they would sacrifice their children to Molech. Hideous worship. And he built a house for the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem, looking down upon the city of Jerusalem where that very temple is built, now stands a place of worship for Molech. And again, this is just representative of what is taking place in the heart and mind of Solomon, for it does not stop there. The scriptures don't give us the detail, but it gives us the summary in verse 8. For notice it says, and so he did for all his foreign wives. Think about that. And so he did for all his fallen wives. We're not just talking about two structures here. We're talking about the false worship that spread throughout the entirety of the earth for all the kings have been coming to Solomon and all the kings have been making these treaties and all of these kings' daughters are given to him in marriage and he is making places of worship for every false god Under the sun. Places where now Israelites would be worshiping. Places where those who should be following God were dedicating themselves and practicing these abominable practices. And many of whom, like Solomon, would also show up in the temple and being praying and offering sacrifices there as well. 
What I want to emphasize to you this morning is that Solomon did not convert his wives. Let's say that again. Solomon did not convert his wives. Solomon did not influence his wives. Solomon did not bring his wives to the worship of the true and living God. His wives brought Solomon down. His wives moved the heart of Solomon. His wives influenced him spiritually and caused him to no longer be steadfast and dedicated in his soul commitment to God. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought it? I mean, his wives were no intellectual challenge for Solomon. And I say that not in any deprecation to women, but simply that Solomon was the wisest person on the face of the earth. Male or female. So they didn't win the day with an intellectual argument over over Solomon, that's to be sure. They brought nothing that could impress Solomon, who was the richest man on the face of the earth, who had already had all these accomplishments. One would think that if anyone is going to be impressed and moved, I suppose it would be the wives to... Solomon, as opposed to Solomon to his wife, and I submit to you that's why he thought he could get away with it. I believe that's the ultimate reason that that he wasn't afraid that these wives would influence him, because I think that the text is leading us to believe that Solomon thought he's going to impact his wives. can't tell you how many people think that they are going to have the spiritual influence over their spouse if their spouse is not where they are spiritually. But after we get married, after I take them to church, after I witness, after I do this, after I do that, I'll win them over. They'll be where I am. They'll, they'll want what I want. After all, they're not all that interested in spiritual things. I'm very interested in spiritual things. Therefore, obviously, I'm going to win out. My kids are going to be raised a certain way because they don't even care about how people believe or conduct themselves. Never lose sight. That conversion is a result of the act and grace of a sovereign God. You can't argue somebody into the kingdom. And you can't exemplify someone into the kingdom. Meaning that you can't win somebody over just by your winsome spirit or, or just by your behavior or just by your conduct. And when I say just, all those things are important. But a person is saved by the mercy and grace of God. And God was not in this. God was not behind this. 
This is not what God wanted. Therefore, he did not have the influence over his wives. But what God had said, surely they will turn your hearts away. What God had proclaimed is what came to pass. It shouldn't surprise us. So Solomon's actions displeased God, of course, verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon should and did know better. Of all people, Solomon should have stayed faithful to God. For notice in verse 9, it says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. And now these words, Who had appeared to him twice. God had appeared to Solomon twice. Solomon knew of the reality of the true and living God. He had a vision from God. He had heard a voice that represented God. It wasn't even a prophet. It was God himself that revealed himself to Solomon twice. Twice. He knew the reality of the person of God. Solomon had experienced the grace and goodness of God, the true and living God. For in appearing to Solomon twice, remember what God says to Solomon. First, God had made promises to Solomon. This Solomon, who loved the Lord and prayed for wisdom that he might know how to, to rule with justice and righteousness, a, a people of God, it pleased God and said, I, 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 will, I will give you that wisdom. And of course he did. And Solomon knew and experienced that wisdom. And God said, because you have not asked for riches and wealth and all these other things, I will give it to you. I'll give you the riches. I'll give you the long life. And he experiences the riches. And he experienced all the, the goodness that God had said would come to pass. But God not only made promises, God gave warnings to Solomon. But you need to remain faithful to me or the kingdom will be taken away from your sons. He heard the warnings. But he did not heed the warnings. Despite the blessings and despite the warnings, Solomon knew better, but he did not act in accordance with what he knew. For the end of verse 10 says, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Now, remember, we know why that he did not keep what God had commanded. He, he loved his wives more than he loved God. He was more concerned with disappointing his wives than disappointing God. He was more dedicated to doing what his wives wanted him to do than he was in doing what God wanted him to do. It's essential to understand that it was not 
God, the, the wisdom of Solomon. It wasn't that intellectually he did not know better. So often, you know, people will say to me, will you talk to so-and-so? It's, and it's almost the idea is they just don't know any better. If you just tell them what's the right thing to do, they'll say, oh, well, thank you. I didn't realize that. Sure, I'll do the right thing. It's not a matter of the intellect. It's a matter of the heart. Five times in this text, the heart is referred to. It's a matter of the heart. But I'd also like to point out to you, because it's easy to miss, and it's very easy to assume the wrong thing, and that is that Solomon's riches didn't move his heart away from God. The riches were God's blessing. And they didn't turn into a curse. It isn't his love of money that turned away his heart. It isn't what God had provided him. It wasn't the goodness that God had granted him. And never blame God, who is richly good to us. And by all means, don't ever, ever, ever blame the grace of God, who forgives us of our sins and restores us to our worship and joy of God. Never, ever blame the blessing of God for our sinfulness. It wasn't the riches. It was the wives. It was the wives. It was his clear, knowing disobedience to what God said will be your downfall. That's what turned his heart away. The kingdom was negatively affected in verses 11 and 12. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant, my statutes that I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the day of your son. I'm not going to deal with that this morning. That will be the next time I preach. That's where we're going to pick it up, and we're going to look at the consequences. So what are the takeaways this morning? What should we keep in mind out of this passage? Well, first, it's very, very possible to start off well and to end badly. Don't take faithfulness to God in your life for granted. And I say to you, as parents, grandparents, don't take for granted that your, your children, your grandchildren, love and know and want to serve him. Continue to pray. Continue to exhort. Continue to encourage. For it's not about today. And it's not even about tomorrow. It's about when they're old. And it's about when we are old. And never just be satisfied that even if you're old, even if you're facing retirement, 
Don't be satisfied that you're walking with God and that means you're going to walk with God the rest of your life. Guard your heart until you take your very last breath. Continue to guard your heart. Faithfulness to God is not produced by the intellect, but by guarding the heart. It isn't that Solomon didn't know better, it's because he didn't care. Because something else had usurped his love for God. The most direct application that we can make to this passage is, first, be awfully careful about who you marry. Be awfully careful about who you marry. First and foremost, we need to be concerned with whom we date. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness with love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of pure heart. Date people that love the Lord and are concerned with purity of heart. Or we all are weak, we all stumble. How important it is in our weakness that we are dating, we are with someone who will be strong when we are weak, and we can be streak and we can be we can be strong when they are weak. But have a mutual commitment and a mutual desire. Don't just leave it at do they know the Lord or not? But where are they in their relationship to the Lord? That they know the Lord is the bare minimum. Secondly, as believers, we should only marry those who truly are believers. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with, with lawlessness? This could apply to many things, but it certainly applies to marriage. Don't be like Solomon and come up with an argument that says, it's okay for me. It's not going to have that effect on me. I will have a greater influence on them than they will have on me. God says, don't do it. Don't do it. And you understand the temptation of Solomon? We see it all around us. And we experience it in our own lives. So many things, God says, don't do it, don't do it. And we think we can get away with it. Thirdly, be concerned about the spouse that we will have. Will they actually help us to draw closer to the Lord, or will they be a hindrance to us spiritually? Next, in guarding our hearts, we need to be concerned with what we love and not just with whom we love. I think it's interesting that Solomon's riches did not turn his heart away from God, and the answer is because they were God's blessing. They didn't turn his heart away, but riches can turn people's hearts away if that's what they are going after. That's not what Solomon wanted in life. In the very beginning, he didn't ask for those riches. That's not what he was after. However, we can easily fall into the snare of loving money. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So guard 
your heart. So it's not wrong to be rich. But it's wrong to love riches and to seek them at all cost so that God is left behind so that you can no longer tithe, you can no longer give because you want to use that money for something else. In guarding our hearts, we need to be concerned with our pleasures of any kind. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, but understand this, then the last days perilous times will come. For men shall be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. And then the next statement says, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. All these sinful practices are because we love pleasure more than we love God. What brings us happiness? What brings us joy? <laughs> how it can turn our heart away. How because of what we enjoy and what pleases us, it's pretty easy to start falling away from public worship so that we have time to pursue our real joys. The things that, that we love to do. We don't have time for worship. We don't have time to read the scriptures because there's such more, not only important things to do, but, but things I want to do. I don't have time for that. The scripture says that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. We need to guard our hearts that nothing, nothing is allowed to seep in and pull us away. This morning, we're given one powerful example. But we could develop all these others as well. We need to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. Not just our minds. Our desires. How can we tangibly do that? I say to you, Look for the excesses in your life. Look for the excesses in your life. It's pretty apparent when you have 700 wives and 300 concubines, you're getting pretty messed up. Just look. How do I spend my money? How do I spend my time? How do I spend my energy? What is it that I think about? What is it that I dream about? What are the goals that I have set? What am I dedicating myself to? What just occupies my life? Whatever that is, that doesn't flow out of a love and commitment to Christ. 
and pull us away. Flags ought to be going off. Danger, danger, danger. And we need to realize that in loving God with our heart and all our soul and all our mind is not a detriment to our family and is not a, a hindrance to our joy or to our well-being. But it's actually the way to joy and to happiness. It is the way to experience the peace and contentment, to know the well done thou, good and faithful servant. Don't fall into the snare that Solomon thought he was making himself more secure when he wasn't. Don't think you're making yourself more happy when you're ultimately inviting tragedy into your life when you don't put God first. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us guard our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to love you above all else. And Lord, if we are there, guard us, keep us. We say with the psalmist, search us and know our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us. Lord, help us to take stock of what it is that potentially could lead us away from you and help us to deal with it. Lord, if, if we're not there, if, if we don't love you, Lord, help us to see your blessing, to see your goodness. Develop that, that love within us. Help us to see the amazing goodness that we have to you and we know that we love you because you first loved us. So, Lord, reveal that love to us. Help us to see what an incredible grace has been given to us in saving us. May we never take it for granted. Lord, we pray for the lives of those that we affect, even as Solomon's life affects the kingdom. Our lives affect our, our families, our, our friends, our church, our community. Lord, help us to be a blessing to others in our love and dedication to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.